1957, the year we won it. It being Sam McGuire, of course. That man you just heard was Frank Lynch. The left half forward on that victorious day in 1957. This is the 100th episode of the Laird and Proud podcast. An oral history of the 1957 All-Ireland campaign told by Frank Lynch. And here they come. Louth, O'Brien, O'Neill, Conlon, White, Coleman, Bean, Riley, Cunningham, O'Donnell, Lynch, McDonnell, Rose, Smith, Blood and Meehan. And here it is. Louth are All-Ireland champions for the third time. You have all your questions. I do, yeah, yeah, I do. And I was doing it. I, I, I was chatting to the father, and he was saying the one memory he has of Frank Lynch is is you throwing uh, Jimmy Keaveney around the place in Drawda in six, 66, was it? After he's beat Longford. Oh, yeah, 66. Yeah, we beat Longford. And uh, yes, and I think he Dublin beat us that day. Yeah, yeah, it was it. Daddy was uh, blaming the goalkeeper, was he? The goal he left, yeah, let Timmins in for a handy goal. That's right. Uh, First of all, we, there was, we had to make three changes. Muckle wasn't able to play, he was suspended. Benny Grockland didn't turn up because of exams. Okay. Uh, he was studying for exams, and then Leslie Toll got his job post his previous Sunday. So we had to make a lot of major changes. You know, Mick Sherlock was famed full back, I think, that day, was he? I think he was, yeah. I think he was playing on on, on, on Big John, you know, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. But we had to make a lot of changes, and that hampered us greatly. We did great, played well against Longford. They were league champions. They National League champions or something, yeah. Yeah, league champions, and the Comenius beat them. That's right, yeah. And uh, I was playing full back that day on Bobby Burns. Bobby's dead now, yeah. and Bobby was the big changer man and I was only after coming back after a bad hand injury you know and uh, when he first came back it did a bit of training and that type of thing and it was alright but and I knew he was because I did something to say football with him and I knew he was a bit of a uh, you know he, he wouldn't be the bravest oh, right, so, right. Uh, and uh, I let him know that <laughs> in the start but the first ball he got he struck the crossbow with a hell of a wallop you know yeah. and after that I don't remember him getting the ball. Everything went well for us that day. We won. Uh, well, that was an awful shock to them for that day, you know. Oh, big time, big time. I, I'm still, uh, yeah, they still re- be reminded of it. I would have relations in Longford. Would you, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, from Cashel, and they would have they, they they played for Longford. Team. Yeah, they're a good team, but my father likes to rub it into them and he remembers it very well. I suppose... It, Let's get on to the main the main point to have you on it is uh, nineteen yeah. fifty seven. All right, yes. It very nearly didn't happen for, happen for you, Frank, did it? Nineteen fifty seven was an unusual year. The year we won it, of course, you know, and uh, one never envisaged them when you were starting off that particular year you were going to win the All Ireland. But uh, the fact of the matter was that I was playing for Whitlaud from nineteen fifty six, and. Um, I was my first game was against uh, uh, Ross Common in Ross Common, although I was selected to play after uh, for the match against Wicklow the Sunday before. I didn't play and I didn't turn up and I didn't let them know what happened the other night. The fact was, I got an injury playing rugby, and I didn't turn up for the game in the Athletic Grounds. Yeah. Uh, uh, now we were playing the following Sunday in the Athletic Grounds. We were playing the final of the McArdle Cup, and we were playing Roach Evans. We had, they were, they were a fan, well fancied side because there were several, a few country players and all the rest of it. 
and we were uh, playing. Uh, well, we got the final. We beat the Blues in the final. That's the game I was selected to play after we played that game with the Blues in, in Castle Bellingham. Uh, I was selected after that game and didn't, as I said, turn up. But because of the injury, I got playing rugby. But anyway, I thought my my call for the loud senior team was gone at that point because when I didn't turn up, they selected the team to play against Ross Common, and I wasn't on it. I played, we played the match against the Roach Edmonton and Dock in the final of the Carroll Cup. It was played on the Feast of Christ the King, and they our 4th of November 1956, and the, the game was put back uh, a block forward an hour for, so that it wouldn't clash, believe it or not, with the re- religious duties in the, uh, the St. Patrick's Cathedral. Wow, That's wow. how religious we were then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we played the match, and after about 20 minutes, we lost our centre-half back, which was a brother of mine, Phil. He got a very bad wallop, to say the least of it. Yeah. And he was to, had to be carried off, and he was left unconscious for the for a week as a result of that uh, injury. He broke, he then we got neck, did he? He broke his neck. Pardon? He broke his neck, did he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. That so game. Uh, he got a terrible wallop, and uh, when we confronted the fella, the man that done it, where the referee took my name and he took, he took my brother's name, but he, he ignored the man that was after the culprit, in other words, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. things weren't, weren't going well. And before half time, then we lost, or uh, I think it was before half time, we lost our, the other centre field man that was playing along with me. I was playing centre field. And we lost Tony Duggan there. He was a captain in the army with a broken arm. Yeah. So both of them were big, big losses to us. But then we brought in a couple of young lads. Uh, Davy Bourne was one of those, and he was at school with me at college in, the, in, in St. Mary's College. And uh, he later won, uh, he later got on the Loud Mario team in 1958. He was very young. And he played extremely well. Now, we ended up, we lost that game by seven points to four. One, one, uh, beg your pardon, one, seven to one, four. We lost that game. And, uh, but, uh, the referee had to be escorted off the field. Now, at that point in time, when there was a bit of a commotion in the dressing room and all the rest of it yeah, after the yeah, match, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Quigley and uh, Jack Regan came in. They were the two selectors on the loud team that time. There were two of the selectors, you know. Yeah. And Jim Quigley and Jack Regan came in. Uh, they spoke to a couple of the players for a while, and then they came over to me to know where they travelled to uh, Ross Common on the Sunday and I said no way I was so so annoyed of what, what happened I wasn't in the slightest bit interested you know yeah, yeah. and I said to Jim Creeley no I don't want to hear it you know or something like that and both of the men went out made some remark to a first cousin of mine Roger Lynch who knew them well and uh, <laughs> they went off about their business but during the week, uh, now Phil was pretty bad with the injury, yeah, yeah. and pretty bad in the hospital, and uh, we were concerned about him. So um, I know then on the Wednesday, uh, I was in Samaria's College, and the classroom drawer was wrapped, and it was Jim Quigley that was standing outside it. Oh, and he requested to see me, and he came to me and he said, Will you come to Ross Common on Sunday next? 
You're now on the team, he says. Now, I knew the team had already been selected. So Michael Hines of Young Ireland was playing left wing. Was he said, you are now playing mm-hmm. left wing, he says. He come to me at that, at that point, if you come. So I did. I said I would, yeah. So I, I travelled over on that Sunday. I played against Ross Common. And um, I remember going over with Stephen White and uh, Brian Reynolds and Paddy Butterley, I think. In, uh, with Harry Riley and his uh, taxi taxi car, and that uh, was nearly the first time it was in Ross Common, so to speak. You know, now, no, when I played against Ross Common, my 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 name went down as Ollie Lynch. Yes, I had a nickname called Lolly, and everybody thought my name my name was Ollie because of that. Do you follow me? Yes, I get you. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the records of that match now, you will notice it was Ollie Lynch that was playing left half forward. Yes. And I was I, getting confused when I was doing my research, Frank. I was getting confused. I thought I had the wrong man, but you're, yes. you're the Ollie Lynch, and there's a reason for that, is there? Oh, yes. The Ollie Lynch, you see, he was left half forward. I was left half forward. And uh, I don't know if the reason was because I was... Uh, because of my rugby exploits, okay. you know, I had been playing rugby with St Mary's College, Dundalk. I was not selected on the Loud Minor team because of that fact, and Canon McDonald wouldn't hear tell of selecting me. Yes. I was, in his eyes, illegal uh, because I we I infringed Rule Twenty Seven. The ban rule was there at that time, and anybody who played rugby, cricket, soccer, or hockey. With, with, was illegal and couldn't play Gaelic football. That was the rule then. And that rule remained there until 1970, okay, when it was removed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, now, I think there was quite a, quite a number broke that rule left, right and centre at times, you know. But I mean, if you even attended a match, you were illegal. It's not a match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were illegal. And mind you, at that particular time and around that time, I would have been occasionally going to Ori Hill Park to watch some of the Dundalk matches, you know. Okay. In fact, if memory serves me right, I went to watch Dundalk as far back as 1949 when they had the great, great Scottish team, you know. And I used to ride, uh, ride a bicycle out to see them at that time, uh, uh, myself and some other side, you know. But that was then. Uh, the game with uh, Ross Common, we won. We won by... Uh, Whoa, I played four pints, and I got a goal in the pint. Now, Jerry O'Malley would have been playing against Ross Common. That was a big deal I knew at that time, and I was playing with a man called Mick Shivenham. He was right half back, and they had a good goalkeeper called Brady, I think, or something like that. You know, But they had, they had a strong enough team, and we beat them. And uh, naturally, the selectors were very delighted, and I was delighted everything went well for me. And... Uh, but I didn't know my name was going down as Ali Lynch until it was shown to me on paper the next day. Yeah. And Frank Lynch wasn't saying it was Ali Lynch, you know. So someone was covered in their tracks at that time, I would say, because of the fact that I was illegal. Yeah. Remember, I had been playing with St. Mary's College in Dundalk. I was playing rugby with them. I was a captain of that team. I was the first day by captain they ever had. Uh, playing uh, because of the fact that I was also capped to play for Leinster 
in the, the, uh, March, uh, 1956, the 14th or 15th of March 1956 against um, Monster in Donnybrook. Okay. And on that team with me was uh, uh, Kevin Flynn, Jerry Tormey, Mick Hipple, Eddie Thornton. They were all international players afterwards. They became okay. international players afterwards. I played with all of them that time, you know. And uh, I got that cap, and of course, this was a big, uh, big feather in the nest of the, the priest that was training me in the college, and uh, all the rest of it. And I, I was very fit at the time. There's no question about that, you know. And when you were but, sitting in the classroom, classroom, Frank and Jim Sauger Quigley, as he's known, comes in. Did you know him? Like, would you have known the Laird uh, at this time, or did I know Jim Quigley? I would have known every Laird player that played. Okay. From 1948, if you know what I mean. I wouldn't have known them, but I knew, knew them by sight. So you're, fan- uh, you're a fanatic at the, at the, at the end? Yeah, well, I, I was. I was very much involved in the Gaelic football because Loud, Loud had tremendous footballers back then. They had great players. They had great teams. You take the teams in the 40s, 43, All-Ireland semi-final, 48 All-Ireland semi-final, 40. Uh, nine, uh, the Leinster final against me, three, three, you know, three, three games and all the rest of it. 1950, they're in the All-Ireland final. Yeah, 1953, yeah, they're in the All-Ireland semi-final. They're powerful players. And, you know, I used to go around as a kid, as a young fella, I used to go around with uh, photographs of them on my breast, if you know what I mean. No way. Uh, showing off as to who they, who they were and who I knew and all the rest of it, you know. But they, they were great players, you know, and they had something to look up to all the time. And, even when you were out working with the farmers, as I was as a young fella, you know, I, I do commentaries on matches and everything else at that time because um, uh, I would have known the players so well. Well, they were only commentaries on matches, but in those games, those, those times, we allowed all those one those matches as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this was a, a great interest. Uh, there was a great interest uh, at the time, and... Uh, it was just the interest that young boys at that time took in the game. And I said to myself, now, what's wrong now? Yeah, because I was just asking my next question, Frank. Is that is that something that's missing nowadays? With, with... It is totally miss, miss, missing. There's no enthusiasm. No, it's, it's gone. There's no, there's no, because unfortunately, you don't have players to look up to, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. You don't have the teams to look up to. And, you know, what, what annoys me greatly is the fact that we have um, uh, failed in our efforts to uh, build teams and to provide players of that kind. Do you follow me? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, th- that's missing all the time. And they say, oh, I, I know the game has changed and I know all this type of thing. A lot of the game has changed. Not to my liking as far as I'm concerned. It isn't. But... There is no question about it. I can understand young fellas at the present time. When you talk to them about a loud team and they'll just ask you, they well, never saw them playing because there's no interest because they're not winning matches. So you're, you're saying yourself as a young player, you're coming into that setup in 57. You're getting the car down with Stephen White. And then, yes. the, like, are you overall, are you looking at these fellas and thinking, I'm wow. looking at Stephen, just for you, he's Stephen White. Yes, of course. He's a great player. It was a, a big thing for someone like me coming in uh, as an 18-year-old. Uh, uh, I wasn't yet, even eighteen yet then. Coming in uh, being a, with, with some of these players. And when I look back and think of the selectors we had in 1956, 
at that time, the, the selections we had, I had Jack Bell. In 1949, he was Player of the Year in Ireland. He was voted Player of the Year, Jack Bell. He was one of the selectors. Jim Quigley. The 19, he, he played in all the Leinster Championship matches. And Jack Regan was also uh, uh, captain the two teams in 43 and 48 to win the Leinster Championship. Okay. That Brian Reynolds played for Loud. Mick McCone played away back years before that on Leinster teams. And all of the players I mentioned played in Leinster teams. Yeah. That was the caliber of men that happened to me. I have, like one would be overawed by the fact that those type of men were around you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like it gave you and, confidence coming in. And, then, and when you see, you look around you now and you say to yourself, where is the loud players? Right. You don't have them on the line either. Right, right. If you know what I mean. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. So okay. the tradition that we had is gone. And I would ask some of the people concerned that they were involved in the loud, who killed it? Yeah. I suppose. Yeah, I, I, suppose yeah. I suppose maybe that's why I'm trying. I I have you on, Frank, to make yeah. to make you reconnect, like the fact that loud people can be all Ireland winners, and we have our, we possess all Ireland winners in our midst. You know, because it's completely alien nowadays. You know, totally, absolutely, and this is most unfortunate. We have lost the tradition that we once had. Yes, and that tradition is gone now. All you listen to in the town of Dundalk is the soccer we have and all. I'm not uh, playing down soccer or anything like that. It's great to have good soccer teams and rugby teams for that matter. Yeah. But uh, where is the, the 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 workers? The voluntary workers are not there anymore. No. Everybody has to be paid. Everybody has to be given money to pay to coach this and coach that and coach the other. The, you, have, you have loads of expenses going out now. Yeah, that's just a sign of the times, I'm afraid. But the, tradi- the, yes, tradition, I'm afraid yeah, the tradition, Frank, it started that year in Carlo. You, you, you weren't playing that day. No, I'll tell you how I was not playing in that like, Carlo game. I, I recall very well being picked for that game against Carlo. I was selected to play against Carlo. And if you go back on the records, you'll find that. Yeah, but yeah. on the Saturday, I was at home listening to a soccer match, believe it or not. It was between uh, Newcastle and Blackpool. And Stanley Matthews would have been playing for Blackpool. Blackpool. Yeah, yeah. Jackie Milburn would have been playing for, for Newcastle. I think Newcastle beat them that day, you know. Yeah. And who comes on the scene but Jim Quigley. And he arrives to tell me, that he's had representation from the junior selectors. That's the loud junior selectors, because we were now the junior... I was also playing with the junior team. Yeah. I was playing centre field for the junior team that year. Okay. And I was playing with Peter Judge in the middle of the field, and we had beaten Mead, and we had beaten Longford. And we had now, as it were, gone on to get to the final of the Leinster Championship. And who would we be playing in the Leinster Junior Championship but Kilkenny? Okay. No, Jim Quigley arrived out at the doorstep. He drove, he rode his bike from Kilkerry to tell me that I wouldn't be playing that the, the next day on Sunday, Sunday in Melbourne because he had uh, protests from the junior selectors not to play me. They were certain, as far as they were certain, they were going to win the All Ireland Junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they wanted the team left alone. 
that was their attitude and that was their right if you know what I, I mean suppose, yeah, yeah, going I was eligible to play junior leave me alone and uh, I was now out of the senior team right yeah yeah I, I was uh, I, I went to the match I saw the match now we are playing Wexford in the next round yes, senior yes and I am picked to sub again <laughs> right uh, I put a game against Wexford in Crow Park and a couple of the, 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 uh, there was a, a number of changes made on the loud team following the game against uh, Carroll and uh, uh, if you look at the team you'll find a few changes made and uh, on that team I, I was a tick pick to sub now the morning of the match as I was going to be picked up to take me to Crow Park this fella contacted me to tell me not to go to Crow Park to make sure I was in St Mary's College because that was uh, the old sports day in St Mary's College where all the boarders' parents came and there was always a huge, there was always a huge occasion in the college itself oh my God, for that's right. sports activities. And that if I didn't go, I was, it was possible that I would be expelled from the school. Oh, uh, didn't make it easy remember, for you, Frank, did it? Pardon? They didn't make it easy for you. Uh, I was possible because I have a, I, I, that, that was I could, in, in in telling that story. I would have to go back to uh, the national league match when we played Galway's second game in 1956. Right. Uh, together that one because in 1956 uh, we played Ross Common and after that we played the game against uh, Galway. They were all Ireland champions, Galway. Now I had the great delight in being picked to play against Galway, all Ireland champions, in RD on the 18th of November, 1956, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I am playing in a fellow called McKissan. Uh, now, uh, what happens then? On the Saturday, I'm playing a rugby match in uh, St Mary's College against CUS, a sister college in Dublin. Okay. We won that match, and that was on the Saturday. Uh, and uh, I was went to the manager of the team or team afterwards, Father Bishop, and I said to them, Father, I won't be in tomorrow because I'm playing a Gaelic game in, in Jotnardy against Galway. And he says to me, that's what you think. Okay. Well, I am, I said. When I leave the school, to say I'm going to play Gaelic football. Well, that's the mistake that you're going to make, he says. Okay. And he continued to argue his case. And he says, well, look, he says, the best thing you can do is to come in tonight and see the superior, Father McGuigan, he is in Dublin with a junior team. And uh, have a look with him, he says. Okay, right, okay, right. So I went home on my bicycle to Logan Green, another four miles, and four miles back that evening, that Saturday. And I was in the college at 8 o'clock. And I met Father McGuigan. And I remember two of the priests I met were Father McGoskill and Father Ford, and both said they'd pray for me, you know, uh, whatever that meant. So eventually Father McGuigan came on and he laid it on that line that if I didn't do what I was told, I was shown a very bad example. 
the boys in the school. I was the captain of the team, blah, blah, blah. And this was terrible. I was on the Leinster team, and there was a Leinster selector coming tomorrow as well, that Sunday, to see us playing against the Marysat Mines. We were playing that team in the college. Yeah, and yeah. if I didn't show up, I wasn't going to get on that team to play against Ulster and Raven Hill. I, and I was listening to all of this. Anyway, he says, we, he brought me up to see the president of the college, Father Bourne. Father Bourne talked to me about how St. Mary's College come to play rugby and the arguments and rows they used to have with the Lloyd County Board over the fact that they were winning so much, so many of the championships from the, from the Gaelic team. And they turned then to play Gaelic way, up to play rugby way back in 1848. He told me all this history. Yeah, yeah. So um, I said, okay, I was only half interested, let's put it that way. So he says, go home and discuss it with your parents, he says, and whatever their parents say, you do. So I went home, rode my bicycle again home. Now I was after doing maybe another four miles, a 16 mile, I was not done that yeah, day. Yeah. No. So um, I went home. And as I was in, going into my, 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 my house in Logan Green, my home in Logan Green, uh, about to wrap the door when four priests arrived out in, 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 in a little Morris Minor, right? And they got out of the car and they came to the door and they wrapped the door before I did. And honest to God, I sure my mother thought, Lord of Mercy, that I was after being killed or something when she saw the four priests <laughs> at the door. And the four, four priests at the door told her what they were about. And she, to make a long story short, she just said to them, look, I prefer if you play with the wee lads in the school, not the big, these big lads, you see, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, these two priests were real junior priests, I knew that too. And they said to her, well, look, I said, they said, we, we let him go tomorrow and we'll be over to see him in Nardi. Right. This was the, the comment they made, two of them made. So... I ended up playing against Galway in RD, and if I might say so, I did very well. And uh, after the match, Sackle quickly came over to me. He told me some of the allowed officials were uh, given out about I beaten playing rugby and all the rest of it. And he says to me, you never mind them, he says. You mind me, he oh says, my, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, fair enough. I, 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 but that's, that's the summary of what happened. The following day, I went back into St. Mary's College, okay? I was met by the Father McGuigan, who was the superior, and he complimented me on the match the previous day and what I did and all the rest of it. But to see the bad news now, he says, you're no longer captain of St. Mary's College. Oh, he got you that way, okay. And uh, on top of that, to say, you'll not be going to Raven Hill because you're too far behind with your studies, in our opinion, you know? And we'll leave you alone. That cap is gone, he says. Nice. In other words, I, I wouldn't be sent to play against Ulster and Ravenhill the following Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did, it didn't pass any remarks of it, but it was become it become serious, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Always the next thing that was going to happen to me. Yeah. The next thing was going to happen to me if it got out of line again, as far as Father McGuigan and a couple of them were concerned. You're there was gone. only one place yeah, for me, and that's out of the school, yeah. maybe. This is the thing you were thinking. Now, let me say, I'm saying a lot of these things, and I have no doubt that college, the priests in the college, were very, very, very good to me, always. Yeah, yeah, uh, I suppose. Uh, in, in many other ways, you know? And they helped me everywhere they could. 
but I was immersed completely in Gaelic football at this time, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I was very annoyed that they didn't get in with the loud minor team. They wouldn't pick me because they deemed me illegal. And now I was playing with the senior team and it was going under the name of Ollie Lynch. Yeah, just, yeah. And there was a purpose in that because if anybody looked for the name Frank Lynch, they would say, oh, sure, he plays rugby. And why isn't he suspended? You know? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so, so you don't play, you don't so play I, then against Wexford because of that. What? You don't play then against Wexford because of that. And then I did not play against Wexford no. because of that. Yeah, and, and it, now I'm picked to play Kildare in the semi-final against Kildare Cup, right? Yeah. Now remember, we have won the junior championship, and we we beat. The larder, the Mead, and the Longford, and we had a good junior team. Yeah, yeah. My own brother, who was very in- injured in the pre- previous year, fifty-six, he was playing centre half back on that junior team. Okay. And they, uh, and that they had, we had gone to the Leinster final, but I played in both the Mead and Longford games with those players, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we won easily. Another playing Kilkenny in the final at Bobal. Uh, teams, Kilkenny, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, I uh, we are playing uh, Kildare. That would be Kildare easy enough. I wasn't. I was a sub on that team. I didn't get into the team. They didn't need me. They brought Jimmy McDonald back, and he scored about or oh, two goals and three goals and two points yeah, or something. Get, yeah, one yeah, of the five eight one seven. Yeah, and they were they were and they were the champions, and, weren't they? Yeah, and now uh, the team is being selected to play against Dublin. The Dubs, yes. In the Leinster final. Yeah, yeah. And to take you along to that game, uh, I was uh, listed as a sub. Okay. I was still eligible to play junior, thus. And uh, being listed as a sub uh, on the morning... Uh, the, during the week, if something happened, Patsy Coleman, he broke collarbone and was unable to play. Nice. And the heading up the Independent that morning from John McDonald in the concern, he was used to be a reporter for the Independent, and he wrote to say that I would be in the, uh, in the heading was that Lynch will be replacing Coleman oh. uh, and play as right half forward with O'Donnell switching back to half back. Okay. And I was full sure that that was happening on that day until I arrived at the <laughs> dress, in the dressing room and we were preparing for the match and in comes Sean, uh, Sean Cunningham, the manager of the junior team. And there was a discussion with the, with the chairman of the county board, Jimmy Mullen, and two other, people, two other selectors and you could overhear some of the comments they were making. Yeah, and the, it came back to there's no point from coming from Jimmy Mullen and Sean Cunningham making two changes for one. In other words, they were saying, "Why are you putting O'Donnell back to right half back and putting Lynch on right half forward? Leave Lynch alone and put McCoy on Barney McCoy." Barney, yeah. And that won the day, and the loud team went out with Barney McCoy on at right half back instead of Patsy Coleman. The game was on 10 minutes, and this is exactly what happened because I was standing, be, I was sitting behind Brian Reynolds, and the game was on 10 minutes when the comments came in, Alfie Monks was playing, 
Yeah. And yeah. he was uh, he was he was on the team, and he as he seemed to pull back in the ball or whatever it was. But the next thing I heard was a comment coming from Brian Reynolds, a selector. That's enough, he says. I don't want to see no more of it. Put on Lynch. And that's how I got on the team. That was it. And he, I got on the team after 10 minutes. And I got a couple of points in that game. Right. Someone said I only got, I got two, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that was against Dublin. And uh, was very satisfied with my game after that. And after that, then, it was a case of going on to play Toronto. And Light went on to win the Leinster Junior final against Kilkenny below in Newbridge, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And Light Juniors now were in the All Ireland semi final against Mayo. That team has sort of of been nearly forgotten about. Right. It was a great team. And they they were now in a situation of playing their second best team. When they went on to the All Ireland semi final, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Would you would you have trained alongside each other? Uh, no, we're not training together at all. Oh, we were doing exactly. our own training as a senior team right. in the Athletic Grounds for the Leinster final. Right, right. And we were doing that. That's what I was training for the for the Leinster final below in the Athletic Grounds. The juniors were doing their own training, as it were. Well, I don't think they did that a hell of a, an awful lot, as far as I could make out. I don't know exactly, but I do know. That my own brother was playing with that, with that, with that, and he was playing. He was playing very well too with the, with the junior team. Was he, 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 he giving you stick at home? Was he saying, "Why come on and play with the juniors with me?" Or was he happy enough to see you go on with the seniors? Uh, yeah, well, they, he was. Uh, he was happy enough to go on with the the juniors. You know, there's no doubt about that. But he did come into the reckoning uh, in a couple of t- after the hour. He committed the reckoning. On the on the senior team a couple of times, okay. you know. Yeah, and then and, and then, uh, but right. his injury that he got in fifty six yeah, yeah, went went against him very badly, you know. And come here, Frank. You did, it didn't go too well for you in the All Ireland semi final against Tyrone. There, no, the All Ireland semi final against Tyrone. I was picked on the left wing that particular day. I was playing on a, an experienced player called. Uh, I was at Patsy Devlin or one of those, you know, was it Devlin or Donnelly, I forget, you know. But it wasn't so much that. It was an unusual game. I was never, I I can say safely, I always liked to be in the thick of things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And all the time you were told, stay out in your wing, you know, and bring bring your half back out of the side in which you, you know, and I was inclined to go in and look for the ball if the ball wasn't being passed up to you or anything like that, well, you had to go and look for it. Yeah, and yeah. I spent a fair bit of time looking for football. I, no, I I would uh, agree that on, on the face of it, I didn't seem to have a good game against Tyrone. Uh, uh, you did your best, but it was a baptism of fire, if you like to put yeah, it that way. That was the role of the wing forward back then. Like, you know, stay out in your wing and yeah. all this type of thing. But that did not suit me at all. I didn't like that part of it. And I don't know who tried to make me a winger <laughs> because I never played on the wing for me. So, you know, it was and always central field. And although you beat Tyrone and you're in an All-Ireland final, are you still, are you, you're you're probably a little bit anxious then about the final then itself. Am I going to be starting? Am I going to be playing? What were you? Yes, well, that was, that's true. Because in a nutshell, uh, I ended up in uh, playing two games against Arma, Arma and Rahada and Arma in Kalevi or some sort of a tournament. 
And in both, both those games, I, I played, uh, um, I played challenge games, in other words, after, after the Jerome match. And uh, if I might say so, I played well in those two matches and scored goals as well. That's and the result of that, That's, I was, yeah. um, uh, Mickey McKeown came to me uh, and I, I was this uh, feverish as, as it were about whether I was going to get my place in the final. But uh, he came to me and he said to me, look, you just remember you are playing in the final. Yeah. That, that's unreal. That was, a, that's that unreal. was about three weeks beforehand. Yeah, to play a challenge game out in between, like in between a final, that that's unheard of as well. You know, when you look yeah. at the times, and like you're a young man playing in that, and you've been told that you're starting in an All Ireland final. How was the nerves? Or was there much hype around Dundalk or Hagerstown at that time? No, it, it didn't seem to. It didn't seem to be on there. Uh, it didn't seem to bother me uh, an awful lot, you know. Because remember, um, I had been doing my leaving certificate okay. right up until June, you might say, you know, and I'd been carrying all the this burden with me all the time. Okay, and uh, it, it wasn't easy. Uh, uh, you you were going all the time. I remember this. I would be riding a bicycle. 16 mile a day I'd be going into school in the morning back home from my lunch back into school in the afternoon and back home again in the evening after having after uh, doing the studying up till half seven in the evening okay. and I would be playing then with the journalists remember that I'd oh, be playing okay. with the uh, um, please I didn't have many <laughs> I was playing here there and everywhere and then I had the rugby we also by the way had got to the semi-final of the Senior Rugby Cup against Karen Newell, which was a big achievement. Now, I had to, get, I had to deal with that. That's another thing, yeah. It's college as well. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. And we played, um, uh, the Karen Newell beat us 15 points to three or something. And we did, like, well, we, we, we probably were expected to do better, but we didn't. We, we, we had a great side, to say the least of it, you know, in rugby. And, uh, oh, I was a very busy man and having to study and do all that type of thing at the same time. I didn't have one minute to myself, and indeed one minute to think of this game or that game or the other game. It was forever come up uh, and do your training as well. I suppose that's what so, you say, isn't it? Never ask, uh, always ask a busy man to do something for you. Oh yes, and I then, ask a busy man. But uh, no, it, it was a hectic year, there was no yeah. question about that. And then the, the it, game it was, itself? A bit of a, a rumpus, all right, about who was... Pedder Smith was getting, who was now playing centre-half in place of the injured Jim McArdle. And Pedder wanted a number six jersey, he wasn't going to wear the sub Oh, he did, of course, yeah. And there was an argument over that. It was well known that uh, Jim McArdle was selected on the team as it were because to sort of fool the cocks of this and let them know that Jim Carr was playing because Jim McArdle was playing good football that year and unfortunately got an injury prior to the final and didn't play. Wasn't able to play. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he he uh, he was a big loss in that sense, but I mean, Pedersen Smithton was given the number sixteen jersey or whatever it was, and he felt uh, that since he was when they knew he was playing two weeks before that, they knew he would be playing centre half. Uh, he couldn't understand why he was given the number uh, sixteen jersey or whatever, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I 
I think that's the way it ended up. He had to wear the number 16 jersey. Oh, he, oh, he, did, he, did, oh, he did wear the 16, OK. And it was actually... He didn't wear the red and white that day because your opponents were Cork and... We were green, yeah. Yeah, for that's Leicester. Right. And they were the green against Leicester. That's, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and Paddy Harrington was marking you that day. The golfer started. He, well, if you look at the Cork team and examine the Cork team... Yeah. You had the biggest team, I suppose, that ever played in Crow Park. Yes, Toots Callahan. Yeah. Sean Lewis, uh, uh, centre field. Eric Rain about six foot three. Yes. You had Harrington, six foot two. You had Green, six foot two, easily. You had Driscoll, six foot. You had uh, Dennis Bernard, well over six foot. You had that uh, big Duggan on the square, uh, six foot two or three. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. unbelievably the size of the men were huge men, you know. And they were winning fairly. Uh, they were winning fairly well. They were they would look comfortable, and then Kevin Bigot yeah. sends in the sideline ball, and I suppose the rest is history. Then the Dan Murray comes out to claim it. Cunningham gets it. It's just it trickles over the line. Are you around the square? Are you on the square? Look at it. Two or three feet away from it. Right, you can see the ball crawl over the line. I, and that's the biggest regret I had. Right, that I didn't, I didn't pull in the balls across the line. <laughs> uh, because when the reporters came in after the match, they wanted to know who scored the goal. Was it Cunningham or Lynch? <laughs> but it was uh, Dan Murray holds to this day that it hit off his, his arm and not Sean Cunningham's arm. But Sean Cunningham went up, he went up for the ball with him and the, game, the ball broke and broke and ended up going over the line. Sean didn't uh, kick it over the line or anything like that, but it ended up going over the line. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm saying the ball hopped just near, uh, by two foot in front of me or three foot. And I'm sorry I didn't pull in the right it. You know? And, and uh, I, I read an article a couple of years ago, I uh, played Cork in a league game. Oh, a couple of yeah. years ago in Division 2 and there was a bit on it about Dan Murray, the goalie. It still, it still haunts him, that ball crawling over the line. Because they were big fans. Yeah, well, Dan... That's right. And, and Dan, do you see, had relations in Castle Bellingham. Yes, Tony Clark, yeah. he was a bus inspector and all that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dan was on to me on a regular basis. He, he's the only one, there's only two of them left uh, still living. And that's Dan and uh, Sean Moore. And Sean Moore. Yeah, yeah. That's the only two players uh, alive at this stage, you know? And uh, I'm after sending a lot of stuff off to Dan because he's written his memoirs or something like oh, that at the wow, moment. Wow. He asked me to get a certain information from him, which I did. And he's, a, he's an exceptionally good fellow, very nice man. That's and uh, I'd be in touch with him on a regular basis. But um, what was the, he what was also the a cousin who played, played uh, with Dundalk, Horgan, this fellow called Horgan. He oh. played with Dundalk, he was a good truck up there. Oh. And come here, Frank, what was the celebrations like? Oh, the celebrations afterwards were just absolutely huge, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, could only imagine, you know. Oh, you could imagine, right up to, um, oh, just, uh, they, they talk about the dressing room afterwards, you know, when certain individuals wanted to get into the dressing room, it was absolutely chock-a-block, you know, with people uh, rushed trying to get in there, congratulate everybody. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. remember a circle quickly closing the door and I mentioned that in my report you know um, of uh, the match of uh, the, uh, that report that I wrote about uh, during the week yeah for the, in the draw losing a lovely piece, yeah. that this fella I could still see that man that I mentioned I could still see him uh, the door being closed on him as yeah. well you know he was, he was one of many but Jim Greenlee Donald was right you know and, and were you paraded up and down the length and breadth of the county 
Oh, well, okay. After that, we went to the Hollybrook Hotel. There was a big reception there for us. And they went on to all hours in the morning, and we got a bit of sleep. And then the following day, we were right around Dublin. We were up on the, in, you know, into O'Connell Street and places like that. And uh, wow. right. uh, taken up on top of some building up there in the middle of O'Connell Street, photographs taken and one thing and another, and back for more food. And yeah. then eventually set off for Drogheda on, mm-hmm. uh, on uh, uh, various cars, you know. And uh, and then we were met around the south of the vine there. And um, there was a huge crowd uh, assembled there. And we were taken into the White Horse Hotel where the, the lower doors were closed off and the window taken out. And we were taken in through the second, uh, through the first floor. Oh, wow. Right, right. All this type of thing yeah, was, yeah. was, was organized because there was the crowds down underneath where it was just jam-packed, you know, with people and um, coming to see the homecoming, so to speak, you know. Yeah. And then all the way into Dundalk, then uh, even stopping on my own village in Logan Green, there was bonfires there and there was dancing <laughs> and there was whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And right, right in from there, the whole way into Dundalk. And uh, at three o'clock in the morning, we were still in Dundalk. Wow. And then uh, it was time to get back to RD and places like that, they must have been out the whole night, you know. Yeah, yeah. And does an All-Ireland medal change your life, Frank? They say oh, it does. no. So, well, as far as me and Lyle are concerned, it's very special to have it. And, and you know, you, you look and say you're, you're one of... Um, one of a number that has it, and only a, a small number, if you know what I mean. There are no senior all Ireland medals going now in life for the last, what, 62 years or whatever, you know. And before that, there was uh, all Ireland medals in, well, there were one, three all Ireland medals, three all Irelands in total, 10, 18, 10, and 19, 12, you know. And uh, I was quite pleased because um, the Geraldines were represented in all three teams that played in 1910, 12, and 57. Okay. And uh, Joe Johnson and Joe Donnelly, they won their all Ireland in 1910 and 12, and they were they were Geraldines, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the Lynchers that time, there would have been about seven Lynchers playing on, played on the Geraldines team, you know? Okay. I, I, so it was, a, it was a hectic year, to say the least, yeah. it, you know? And, and you did, you must have did well in your leaving as well, did you? you, you, you I did got right. my leaving all right. <laughs> uh, I would have got it anyway with yeah. a struggle, and then I had to go and look for a job. Yeah. And, then, and, and and why did this never kick on after that, Frank? Why did why did Loud never kick on? Yeah, I know you went to Leinster final in '60 and defaulted no, the but season as well. Bear, bear in mind then that uh, we played in the after winning the All Ireland, we played in the two national league games, and if you were reading the report now that I had that was in the Argus, you would see yeah, yeah. what happened then. With the uh, uh, with Jim Quigley and uh, where the we were greeted with by the the Yanks prior to the All Ireland and we were given mo- money. We, Jim Quigley was made a present of a certain amount of money, which was about six hundred dollars or thereabouts. Yeah, and uh, he uh, uh, was told that that would be for the the team when they would if they won the All Ireland they would be invited to. Uh, 
New York yeah. for uh, Matt sometime and me or thereabouts, you know, and so this was a huge, huge thing at that time to be invited to play in uh, the Polo Grounds in New York yeah, and yeah. Uh, if we won the game, you know. And that invitation was issued by John Kerry O'Donnell and the Jimmy Carl brothers from uh, North Loud, you know. And uh, they, uh, they spoke that night at their reception in, in, uh, in uh, RD. And uh, we, oh, it was a great stimulus, if you like to put it that way, <laughs> for us to try and make that extra, if, if it was required, an extra effort bearing in mind that we, we were going to get a huge trip to New York, you know. Yeah, yeah, so he's go to New York, but there's one man missing, didn't make the trip, the manager. Well, this was uh, an absolute uh, disgrace, to tell you, there's no other word for it, because what happened, uh, that money was given to the manager of the Loud team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the event of us getting a trip to New York, that this was to defray expenses of the team. And that was handed to him when Jimmy Mullen and Peter Carney were present in cases of RD when they made that presentation. Mm. We were in for a cup of tea after training. And Jim quickly uh, accepted it. And we heard no more about it until we won the All-Ireland. And then all sorts of comments were being made afterwards. Where did the money go? But Jim Quigley had it all the time, right? Yes. Now, we played there Galway, in Galway, some, in, sometime in November after the All-Ireland. And following the match, Jim Quigley, we were beaten by a pint that day against Galway and it won hell of a match. And there was only one player who wasn't able to be present on that occasion. And that was Patsy Coleman because he was concussed in the match and had to go to hospital. Okay. And he was on the only player who was not present at that uh, meeting afterwards when we got our meal after the match. And Jim Quigley came in and threw the dollars on the table. And he says, no, lads, he says, what am I going to do with that money? That's your money, he says. You have to decide what you're going to do with it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And of course, naturally, uh, the player said, you hold on to it. It was given to you in the form of expenses, to defray expenses, whatever expense. No, we give, give it to the county board, we hear no more about it. Well, now, that information and that meeting that we had in the, in the hotel, in uh, the Shamrock Lodge, in Athlone, was never relayed to the county board. Okay, right. Now, I'm not saying they would have sided with us or anything like that, but they should have been told they were not told. And whose duty was that to tell them? It wasn't mine. I was the youngest player on the team, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, the baby the team. Now, you can deduce from that who should have told them. Yeah. But they were told nothing about it. Now, what happened was the convention was held and, the con and everything was passed over. Then the first meeting of the county board took place <laughs> As, as was normal, and then the new selectors, the selectors were to be appointed for the incoming 1958 uh, season, yeah. Year, you know, and the selectors, what happened then? Uh, nobody for one moment thought there was going to be an election for a selection committee, yeah. because as a rule, after winning the all Ireland, what more could the original selection committee do? Yeah, I know, I know. They yeah. had won the All-Ireland. Yeah. Now, if you were acting as chairman, wouldn't it be sensible to... Uh, Go with the flow, yeah. The just... committee 
are those present to unanimously accept the outgoing committee to be re-elected for the following year. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yes. There was now all sorts of rumours mingling around what happened to the money and all this type of thing. And poor Jim Quigley came under some sort of scrutiny. But nobody relayed the facts yeah. of what happened in the hotel in Galway. Yeah, yeah. Nobody. Right. And there should have been. That's what should have been. At least the, 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 the official don't should have been told. But even if they were not told, the last thing they should have done was interfere yeah. uh, with the Managing selection committee team, that yeah. was there. Because Jim Quigley was the leader of that selection committee. Yeah, yeah. He was the worker of that selection committee at all times. He was the man that spoke. He was the lecturer in speech. Let's put it that way. Okay. And why then should it, been, should it have been necessary for a chairman to come along and uh, look for further uh, proposals at the meeting for the selection of a new selection committee? Because he knew what he was about. Yeah, yeah. And so was it? So you just go to America and, and Jim's not there, which is absolutely... Yeah, it's just, but, it's yeah of course. Of, you know. Yeah, but that, that, was, that, 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 that was unbelievable. But it, the fault lay somewhere. Now, okay, if I had been acting as chairman in those, that capacity, let me add, I would not have tolerated, no matter what was before me, I would not have tolerated the, a proposal to elect a new selection committee. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jack Regan was persuaded, in my opinion, by certain elements within the county to stand for election in opposition to Jim Quigley. But in my opinion, Jim Quigley should have been the first elected. He headed the poll the year before. Yeah. Why was he now looking for the last seat yes, in yeah. uh, the 90, for going forward in 1958? And he was pitted against Jack Regan. Now, Jack Regan was an extremely popular man. And I have no doubt, too, that that came from an inter-club, non-affiliated club that existed the Dundalk GNA works. Yes. And there was a number of uh, clubs included there where there was, there were all GEA people, yeah, as yeah. it were, attached yeah. to other clubs. Yes, yes. And they got Jack Regan to stand. And Owen Rogers proposed that each individual selector be elected individually. Oh. And he got his way. And that he walked in the GNR railway. He walked in the garage, and Jack Regan walked there. So, in my opinion, it has to have the influence had to come from there. Yeah, because yeah, the yeah. officials them now knew that they were going to get support in what they were thinking. Yeah, that yeah. Jim Quigley deserved to be put out because of the fact that he held on to those dollars, but nobody told them that those dollars were held onto because the players backed them to the hilt. Yeah, they would have, yeah. I, I, would you say if Jim Quigley stays on, you, there's more in you, there's an All -Ireland, another All-Ireland in you? At least there is that, yeah. no question about it. Right. If Jim Quigley had to stay on, it's, a, it, 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 it's another hour's conversation. Yes. If Jim Quigley had to stay on, Lloyd would have won at least two more All-Irelands in the years that followed. Why? You take Tom Condon, for example. He retired, didn't he? 
uh, uh, after coming yeah. back from New York, he, he after the trip to New York, never again, right? Yeah. He did his best to get to, 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 to Jim Quigley to New York. To, to, uh, New York. He didn't even get the trip to New York. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was damnable what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it wouldn't have happened in any other country but Louth. I know. Well, Frank, your, your, mem- yeah. your memory is incredible. Well, it may be, maybe, but I knew the facts and details that followed the meetings that took place in the Lawn Hotel in order to uh, deal with the $600 and how it was shared among the players. Okay. Remember this, we the players, well, well, you take myself, I was on the princely sum of five shillings a week at the time. Right. I was an apprentice accountant yeah. that had to pay £40 for premium to start your deal accounting jobs. Yeah, you were non-existent yeah, those yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Not like now. Nobody had mobile phones and telephones and that type of thing, cars or anything like that. You had to do things if you wanted to travel somewhere, you had to go on a bicycle. Yeah. Or you had something like that. that that's the way, the way you went about it. But the fact of the matter was that uh, in, in, in um, uh, the, the period that followed, uh, leading up to the trip to America, which was a tremendous trip, unbelievable. You met your, your saying, shaking hands with Robert three Kennedy. Weeks holidays and you, you cut the people in New York. The loud people in New York couldn't do enough for you. They were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And we come home with great, um, oh, uh, great reports about the whole, the, the entire trip. There's no question about you that. Met, you Everybody met, enjoyed you, themselves. You met Robert Kennedy man, as well. But there was one man okay. who did not, and that was the man that did all the work for us. And I'm ashamed to say it. Okay, okay, yeah. Make yeah. no mistake about it. Jim Quigley should not have been treated like that. Yes. Jim Quigley was a man of great integrity and all the rest of it. There was no question about that. And that money was all distributed among the players, went to all the players and brought two, one selector uh, and uh, one other player. Because we had 22 players in the, in, in the whole lot and the New York board paid, paid for 20. Well, well thanks but, very much for clearing that up, Frank. You've really aired it out there. and it's, You've took us on a great journey across Loud celebrating in all Ireland. Um, yeah, it was a hard. It was a hard effort. It was a. It was a great. <laughs> it, it was something special, though the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, look what happens with the county board. Our board, I have no hesitation in saying, we're weak. Right. Weak in many respects. I have also said to them when they went to Crow Park, they didn't fight hard enough. For example, we played our Leinster final in Navan that year, in 1958, the year that followed. Why didn't they play it in Crow Park? Why go over to Navin? We, we, we were never very successful there. Yeah, but yeah. we were always fairly successful, reasonably successful above in Crow Park. But they, 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 none of them ever thought, thought about any of this type of thing, you know? But that's the following year where Quigley wasn't there. Yeah. And I think of the mistakes that were made by selectors in the years that followed. Uh, that's why where Quigley was missed. Make no mistake about it. He had a great head. He was a brilliant man, and he was a good man. Mm. Make no mistake about that. And he was treated shabbily by this beloved county board. And may, may I say this much too: that a lot of our players could have been more, could have come to the floor a lot more okay. than they did in trying to persuade the county board 
to change matters, but they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. And as a result, they have lost. They lost two All-Irelands, in my opinion. We lost an All-Ireland, certainly, in 1959. Conlon wouldn't have retired in 58 if if, if Quigley had been there. He would have gone down for another year. And he he was a giant of, of a man. There was no question about that. And then you had the 59, for example, um, where we had two games against Dublin and we lost the replay in dastardly fashion, okay. to say the least of it. Right, right. And uh, then we had the 1960, where I myself Awfully. was left in the field because he had turned over the dead leg, okay. having got a serious injury just before half time. We led awfully five points to three at half time. Yeah. We would have taken that all Ireland that year because awfully it took two, de- two games for. Down to beat awfully that year by a pint. Yeah, yeah. By a pint. And we would have won that game. We had plenty of good players in the line, but the selection committee was all wrong. Yeah. And they, they, they had this feeling of favouring their own men okay. from their own clubs and all this type of thing. An age old problem, and you can have it, you could say it. But later, top of the pile, then, Frank, I suppose that's one way, positive way of leaving it. Going out on that positive note, that louder at the top of the top of the top of the ladder, I suppose, in in all Ireland football. Like, you know, if there's if there was all stars back then, they're being handed out, and we're top- yeah, yeah. I, I have no hesitation in saying that if Quigley had been in that, uh, leading leading that selection committee, we we and I'm not faulting Jack Regan. Jack Regan was a great player, yeah. but the fact of the matter was. He was persuaded and influenced to oppose Jim Quigley. And he had that track record, I suppose, Quigley as well, like of, of doing He it. had, of course, yeah, he approved yeah. himself. Yes. And he, he had his commitment. He went and he sought out Shimmy O'Donnell, who was a great player. Yeah. And he, he Shimmy was a guard below Meat yes. in that year. Yeah. And he got Shimmy O'Donnell to play. He went down to him. And uh, Shami now is uh, in, in Wexford, still alive, thank God, but uh, has had multiple cirrhosis for 30, 40 years, you know. And uh, Shami played a major part in that victory uh, in, in 57. Frank, the least of it. I'll have to get you on again. Uh, I'm afraid you will, because I, I, mean, I was on too much. Make sure you edit a lot of that. I'll I'll cut I'll cut a bit of it out, but thanks very much for your time. Really, really appreciate. It. And it's just uh, that's, that's, uh, we we please, we must be on an hour, are we? We're we're on over an hour. We're we're, we're an hour and seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we could go for another two, I'd say. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just making the point that I'm I did I remember the very first game that we played in the athletic grounds after in 1958 and to see Jim Quigley coming over to me as a young lad you know going out to play in that game against Mead for the South Football Boots or something like that sponsored by E.J. Conley and they come over to me to tell me give me a bit of advice and to tell you the truth he cried I couldn't believe that the man who had done so much work had been insulted in the way he was yeah yeah and how diligent he still was working for the GA. Yeah, he worked yeah. like a, he, he worked continually even afterwards uh, for the GA. For the good allowed GA. Undoubtedly, he was hot. You know. Yeah.
Well, well Frank, it should never have happened, and they need us to say when we went across to New York, <laughs> the first person, the one didn't know how quickly he was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, Frank, I had a great time in New York. We'll have to, I, we'll have to get you on and talk about New York again. I couldn't run in the subway track. <laughs> Frank, thanks very much. Thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Daniel. Okay, right. Thank you. I'll talk to you again. Thanks, Frank. Okay, bye, bye. Bye, bye. There you go. There you have it. What a remarkable man. What a remarkable memory. My thanks to Frank for his time and his passion. Um, I don't think you can hear the story of that 57 Triumph anywhere. So I'm delighted to have it recorded for all of eternity, for all Loud Gills to listen to future and the past and just it's just great to have it there and a little piece of the internet and contact me on info at loudandproud.com for any correspondence and follow me on all social media channels twitter facebook and instagram subscribe to me wherever you get your podcast and uh, thanks again for coming back for another week of podcast and here's to 100 more loud and proud podcasts Man, we just fell about the place If that chick don't wanna know, forget her